Brilliant. Thank you for having me here this morning. We're now into week three of the Italian job. Uh, and I'm loving all the little random whoops that are happening this morning. It's great. Woo! Joining in. It's great. Should I just stop now? I mean, the worship was great. Should we just... No? Okay, I'll keep going. You know, Ben was speaking about Cornelius and about how Cornelius was a, essentially like a Roman heavyweight soldier. And he was a completely unlikely candidate for God to use to blow the gospel wide open for the whole rest of the world to experience. And Cornelius becomes the first ever non-Jewish person to receive the gospel. Um, and in Acts chapter 10, um, it's kind of, I was trying to imagine it to describe it to you guys. It's kind of like a seesaw, you know, like an old-fashioned seesaw, not one of these fancy ones that bounces and spins, but like a good old-fashioned from the age of, you know, when you were three, a seesaw, right? Plank of wood, whatever, some kind of triangle device in the middle. It just goes up and down like this. Everyone knows what I'm talking about, yeah? Acts chapter 10, I think, is like that little triangle in the middle that everything balances on. Because before Acts chapter 10, the whole history of the Bible is centered around God's relationship with the Jewish community, the Jewish people group. But then Acts chapter 10 comes along, and through Cornelius and through Peter, uh, the, whole gospel, the gospel is rolled out to the whole rest of the world. You know, Peter receives this revelation that the gospel, that salvation, that Jesus Christ isn't just for the Jewish people group, but God's heart for the whole world to be included in his family is revealed. And all of a sudden, what was weighted towards the Jewish community whoop, tips back up, and you've got a level playing field again. You know, the outsiders are in with a chance. And we're the outsiders, right? We're here in church this morning because we're in with a chance because of what happened in Acts chapter 10. So for me, it's probably one of the most important, most exciting books of the, uh, books of the Bible and chapters of the Bible. And when we were mapping this series out, I think we had three messages we thought we could do about it. And it just keeps, I said to Steve, it's overflowing. This series is overflowing. There's more and more in this chapter. It's such an important chapter that there's more that we can share from it. So I'm kind of, this is part one of two you're going to get from me this morning. And uh, the reason is because when I was looking at the rest of the chapter, you know, Ben's focused on the start with Cornelius, the unlikely candidate. I was going to get into what Peter did, how he played a part in this chapter. But I just couldn't get past the character of Peter. I just felt drawn to pause on Peter as another and a different but equally unlikely candidate. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Peter has a part but Peter is also an unlikely candidate. So we're going to kind of look at sections of this chapter this morning. We're going to look at Acts 10, obviously, uh, verses 5 to 8, and then we're going to look at verses 17 to 25 too. It's on the screens, so you can read along. Um, and if you've got your own Bible, of course, you can scroll through that as well. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who is called Peter. This is God speaking to Cornelius. Cornelius is is praying, and this word breaks into his life, and God says to him, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them that everything that had happened, and he sent them on to Joppa. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? 
And the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. And the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. So I just want to pray for us, Father God. Thank you that your word is alive. Thank you that your Bible speaks to us, each one of us personally, individually, and it's relevant to us today. God, give us ears to hear and just receive this message enthusiastically and let it change not just us, but all those around us that need a touch from you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start by looking at some old problems and some new possibilities. Some old problems and some new possibilities. Now, we've just read Acts chapter 10, but if you read back two chapters, so kind of eight and nine, you'll find out that Peter's been really busy. He's been working hard for the Lord. And uh, there's an area on a map, you can look it up, I forgot to get you a picture, sorry, but it's kind of like a triangle. You can imagine the coast down here, um, and there's two towns sort of at the bottom of the triangle called Lydda and Joppa, and then about 40 miles, 30 or 40 miles north is Caesarea. It kind of runs in a triangle like this. And Peter's been operating really well, working for God in these two points at the bottom of the triangle. So in uh, the previous chapters, he starts off in Lydda, um, and there's a paralyzed man there. He's never walked, um, and Peter prays for him, and he's completely healed, and he's able to walk again. Now, this is amazing. None of the people in this town have seen anything like this, and the Bible tells us, that all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw the paralyzed man and turned to the Lord. So bang, town number one, complete revival. And while Peter's there, he gets a call um, from his friends um, or other disciples, sort of west over towards Joppa. And in Joppa, there's a woman there called Tabitha, and she's died. Um, And the disciples are really upset about this because she's a follower of God a faithful woman, and so they say, Peter, come and help us. So he travels 20-ish miles or something over to that place, and while he's there, he prays for Tabitha, and she comes back to life, like it's a proper resurrection experience. And the Bible tells us, um, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Bang, second town, revival breaks out again. You know, that's like the whole city sees these miracles, uh, and, and they're saved Um, and believe in Jesus. So Peter is being busy, and Peter is making waves in this area just south of Caesarea and just before we get to Acts chapter 10. Now, it's not too hard to imagine, I don't think, that news of the things that happened in Lydda and in Joppa, the paralyzed man and the resurrected woman, I think news of those things probably would have made it back to Caesarea. You know, people travel around, it's their coastal towns, there's trade going forwards and backwards, there's people traveling, families traveling. Um, And good news travels fast, right? When I was a kid, now I think my dad might have been part of writing this song, but there was some kind of nativity that I was involved in or watched, and they had this little song, and it went something like, I'm looking at him nervously now, good news travels fast, you know, not you, all right, (laughs) not him, he's he's claiming nothing, it must have been one of my uh, primary school nativities, I was up there on the stage, Good news travels fast, you know. Do, 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 do. I don't remember the rest, but good news travels fast, right? You're in there, you're ready. Okay, good news travels fast, you know. When, uh, when you hear something that you want to share with people, it gets around quickly. Good news travels fast. So 
I don't think it would be impossible to imagine that you know, Cornelius gets this vision. He gathers, his, he gathers his soldier and his servants, and he says, right, I need you to go to Joppa to find a man called Simon, also known as Peter. And maybe the servants are, are listening, and one of them says, hey, do you think that's the Peter? You know, Simon Peter, you know, the guy, that, the paralyzed man, the one that healed them with the whole time. Do you think that's him, that guy? And maybe another servant's like, yeah, dead man walking Peter, I've heard about him. He does amazing things, you know, he raises people from the dead. And Do you think that's the guy that Simon Peter must be? It's got to be. I mean, that guy's amazing. God uses him to do amazing things. Do you think Cornelius has clocked who he's asked to come to our house? So maybe they kind of go up to their master and they're like, master, you know, we've... We know you've sent for this guy. Do you, do you know who this is? And maybe the whole household starts to put the pieces of the puzzle together and they realize that there is a VIP about to enter their midst. A very important Peter is coming. <laughs> I know, I came up with that myself. <laughs> I tried that on the kids this morning. Deadpan, nothing. You know, this VIP is coming into their household. So there is an expectation in the atmosphere. You know, and these guys are thinking, wow, if, my, if our master's had a dream and it's this guy that's coming, like, we know, what he, we know what he can do, you know? This guy's done some amazing things. And he was an original disciple. He was like one of the original 12. You know, this guy's got the goods. He spent 12, uh, sorry, he spent three years with Jesus, as part of Jesus' ministry, he's been to actual human Jesus Bible college. You know, he spent three years with this guy. He's watched Jesus pray. He's watched Jesus minister. He's watched Jesus cast out demons. You know, if anyone is going to be used by God to do something amazing, you know, you'd assume it was this guy, right? You'd assume it was Peter. In fact, that's possibly why we read at the end of that chapter, the section of the chapter, that Cornelius falls on his feet in reverence at Peter when he arrives at his house. You know, by the time Peter arrives, he's either carrying such a weight of the glory of the Lord with him or he's, he's heard about who this guy is and he just falls down on his feet before Peter. He's so overwhelmed by the magnitude and the power of God at work in this man's life. You know, we can read this chapter and kind of make the same assumptions, right? We can look at it and we can look at Peter, um, read the things that he's done. We know that he's been with Jesus too. And we can make the same kind of assumptions that, you know, this guy was an obvious candidate, a likely candidate for God to use to minister to other people. And, you know, of course we all want to serve God, right? We all want to be used by God, right? We all want to respond to God. We all want God to use us. But, you know, we read, thank you, Doug, but we read stories like this, you know, guys like Peter that are doing the stuff, and we think, well, it was probably easier for Peter. It was probably easier for him, right? He'd spent three years with Jesus. Like, he was really close to all the events. Like, he was at the start of everything. I want to be used by God too, but it was probably easier for Peter, right? Easier. Ben preached last week with lots of er words, so I wanted to get my own er word in there, easier. In fact, it's an easy word to say, isn't it? Easy, easy. It's an e- Come on, you guys want to say it, right? Easier. I'm actually going to yawn if I'm not careful. Easier. It's an easier word. It's an easy word to say. It was probably easier for Peter. And we can fall into that trap of reading the Bible, reading about these great heroes and think, sorry probably easier for them, wasn't it? J.K. Rowling is um, a successful writer. She wrote the Harry Potter series, many books there. Now, it's probably a bit controversial that I brought up an author of Harry Potter on a Sunday morning because some churches uh, are very against her, and I'm not taking a position on her, but she has a useful story to illustrate my point this morning, so bear with. Bear with. 
J.K. Rowling is a successful writer. You know, she's earned a lot of money um, off the Harry Potter series. You know, she's got pots of cash, which I would also like to add, she's very generous with. She gives very, very generously. But that's, that's easier for her because she's rich, right? It's easier to give if you have a lot of money, maybe? No? Okay, think about that one. You know, she's got it all um, going on. She's got connections. She has... Um, she knows people in publishing houses. You know, she could probably pick up the phone and do anything she wanted, that woman. She's so successful now that surely she could achieve whatever she next put her hand to, right? So what she wanted to do after the Harry Potter series was write a crime fiction novel. That's what she decided, an adult crime fiction novel. She decided that's what she was going to turn her hand to. Now, if God put out a call for someone to write a crime fiction novel, we'd all assume it would be easier for an established, successful author than maybe me or you who haven't written a book, right? It must be easier for J.K. Rowling to get a book published than the rest of us. After all, she's Britain's best-selling novelist. Did you know that? There you go. So what she decided to do was write under a false name. She chose the name Robert Galbraith. Uh, but she still had all of her skills, all of her experience, um, all of the novels that she'd written behind her, um, and she wrote this book. Uh, and she sent it out to quite a few publishing houses, um, and it was rejected. So many publishing houses rejected this novel that she had written. In fact, just to kind of encourage normal people to keep trying, she published uh, the two of the rejection letters um, that she recently received for her first novel. And she put them on Twitter to just tell everyone, you know, it's okay, even people like me get rejected. You know, it turned out it was no easier for J.K. Rowling to get published than any of the rest of us. Let me tell you another story about a basketball team. Now, this basketball team, they're an American team, and they are called the Charlotte Bobcats, or they were called the Charlotte Bobcats. Um, and they were not doing well. They were doing quite badly. Um, and what they really needed was a big kind of cash and time investment from a new owner. So they kind of put the word out that they needed a new majority owner who would invest what they needed to take them um, into a better place as a team. Now, if you were sifting through the applications for that role um, as kind of a bigger investor, a bigger owner, a, having a role in the coaching, you know, you'd be flicking through the bits of paper, you'd sort of see this name, you'd see that name, you'd see another name. Now, if the name Michael Jordan was on a piece of paper in front of you, you'd be like, oh, yes, everything's going to be okay. Michael Jordan wants to help our team transform. And that's exactly what happened. Michael Jordan decided that he was going to take on this basketball team. He was a minority owner, but they egged him on, and he took on the massive share of this club, and he agreed to give them loads of time um, and attention. Now, the NBA describes Michael Johnson as still, even though he's retired, the greatest basketball player of all time. So you would make the assumption that the job to transform this basketball team is going to be easier for him, easier for him, than it is going to be for anyone else, right? Right, okay, let me read you what happened. The first season, he took it on in 2010. He took the Charlotte Bobcats on in 2010. The first season was lackluster, but things got worse. In the 2011 to 2012 season, the team earned a mere seven wins alongside 59 losses, the worst record of any team ever in the history of the NBA most successful basketball player ever in the history of time, and the most successfully losing team, or the worst team in the history of the NBA together. In addition, or maybe because of their disastrous record, the Bobcats had poor community support, 
And the Bobcats brand was synonymous with disappointment, despite having one of the best basketball brands of all time at the helm, Michael Jordan himself. Turns out, it's no easier for Michael Jordan to manage a basketball team than you or I, after all. You know where I'm going with this, right? It was no easier for Peter than for you or I to be used by God. You know, he had his own setbacks, he had his own challenges, and it wasn't as easy for him as we might assume that it was. And you know, we'll get into that um, in a bit more detail a bit later on. But right now, I think it's really important that we just keep the pause button on and we work out why. Why are we like this as a, as a people group? Why do humans, why do people like to assume that things are easier for other people? Why is, that an, why is it easy to assume that things are easier for other people. And that's, for me, where the pinch point um, in this chapter really comes. It's when we drill down and we work out why we like to make those assumptions. And I reckon it's because, you know, when we decide that things must be easier for somebody else, what we're really doing is justifying why we're going easy on ourselves. Does that kind of ring true with anybody? Kind of awkward, but so true. You know, we can say it's easy for other people, but then that's an excuse to just go easy on ourselves because we haven't got the same resources, we haven't got the same amount of time, we haven't got the same family support. They've got all of that. It's easier for them, so we, we shouldn't even expect ourselves to try and get ourselves in a position like they're in or how, be used by God in the way that they're being used. You know, I hear it quite a lot about even church culture as well. You know, I remember when we first started getting involved in the G12 vision, and a lot of people would say, ah, but it's easier for churches and other cultures. You know, the Latino culture is set up for the gospel to spread in. They're always friendly and cooking and in each other's houses. You know, it's easier for the gospel to spread in a South American country. Or, you know, people might look at Pastor Cesar and Pastor Claudia. Uh, we absolutely love um, that couple. They're pioneering the church in South America. The church has maybe got hundreds of thousand people in it or so. Loads of resources, huge political influence, um, masses of people. And, you, you know, it's, it's easy to look at that couple and say, oh, it's easier for them. Look at all the resources they've got. Look at the way God's using them. You know, look at the amount of people they've got behind them to sort of get on board and help them with the ideas that God gives them. But, you know... Of course it wasn't easy for them. You know, it wasn't easy being stabbed. Pastor Cesar was stabbed. It wasn't easy being shot. His whole family was shot at. You know, it's not easy for them now. They carry such an enormous kind of weight and responsibility in the spirit for all the people they're caring for. It's not, it's not any easier for them. But, you know, by saying that, we're making that assumption because if we just scratch under the surface, there's a bit of an inner justification happening in us, you know? And we're sort of justifying our own lack of appetite, I guess, to make the same kind of sacrifices that people in that situation make to live that kind of lifestyle. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. But the good news is I'm preaching to myself. I'll tell you why in a minute. You know, making assumptions about other people often masks the excuses that we make about ourselves. I'll say that again. Making assumptions about others often masks the excuses that we make about ourselves. You know, Ben and I tried this yesterday. So I said, right, okay, I've got an experiment. Think of a time that in your life that you've said, oh, it's easier for someone else than it is for you. So, I mean, that took Ben ages because he never says stuff like that. So he's racking his brains. Eventually, he comes up with the one single time that he says something like that. He's so perfect. And I said, okay, right, fine. Now let's scratch, you know, a bit like a, what's those 2P coins when you do them on the scratch cards? You know, let's scratch away at this kind of the shiny surface at this and see what's underneath. 
Um, and we kind of dug around a little bit, and I'm so helpful. I helped him identify an issue in his own life. <laughs> I'm a great wife. Uh, <laughs> and you know, what we discovered is actually, if you keep digging under that, there's actually a positive reason that often drives your thought process in this pattern. It was really fun. Uh, you should try it over Sunday lunch. Like, pick somebody, find an issue in their lives, help them sort it out, it's great. So for instance, this wasn't Ben's issue. This is, this is hypothetical, but something that I imagine a lot of people might identify with. You might think to yourself, okay, it's, it's easier for my colleague to get a promotion or to get a different job than me because he or she is more confident than I am. And that might be your excuse for not going for a promotion. You know, They're more confident, they're going to get it, I'm not going to try. I'm not confident enough. But if you scratch away at that, there's probably a bit of an issue maybe there in your life that um, a fear, or maybe of being embarrassed, um, a fear of what other people think of you. Um, and then if you scratch under that, you realize that's, that fear is really, really worth conquering because what's driving that fear underneath is your potential and it's a desire to connect with people. It's a desire to have meaningful relationships with people. It's a desire to connect and to be a people person and to interact with people and that's what's underneath your fear. Can you see how it works? There's, three, there's two or three layers to this sort of thing and that, that bit at the bottom, the good bit, the positive bit, like that's your potential talking. That's the part that God's put in you that's got great potential and that he wants to use to grow the kingdom. And that's the part of you that God sees when he looks at you. You know, he's really good. He's got x-ray vision, right? He can get right to the bottom of the best bits of you. Or another example might be, um, maybe you might look at your friends or your brother or your sister or someone kind of a similar age to you. And you might say, well, life is easier for them or it's easier for them to like serve the Lord and commit to being a Christian because, uh, they got married younger than me, um, and they got on the housing ladder sooner than me. So it's much easier for them. They're not having to worry about all that kind of stuff right now. You know, and what's under that? It's easier mentality. Well, it's probably a fear um, that maybe God isn't going to provide for you. Maybe you're struggling with that concept that God's got the right provision for you at the right time, and he hasn't forgotten you, and he's, he's got a plan for your life. And then under that... There's a strong heart, right? There's somebody that wants to be faithful. There's somebody that wants to commit. There's somebody that wants to raise a really God-focused family. And that's your potential. That's the part of you that God's invested in you. And that's really worth conquering that middle layer of fear for. Because when you conquer that, all that potential inside of you that's sitting at the bottom underneath some of those fears can be realized. And that's so powerful. So I told you I confessed my own sins. Uh, and uh, it beget- <laughs> I've got many. How long have we got? Let's just focus on this one. So I sat down to write the message yesterday morning. And uh, we've got, it's kind of my fault, we've got a very open plan house. You can't really hide in my house. It's, everything's connected. It's all kind of glass and big rooms. Um, thanks. I love them. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but when it comes to writing a message, that can be a challenge. So I got up super early. Um, I, managed, I was just getting into it when the first child comes downstairs and they want breakfast. And then the next child comes downstairs and they want breakfast and um, they can't reach the cups. They need you to do this. They need them to do that. So I get the breakfast ready. And, and then the phone rings. It's my mother-in-law. Uh, she wants to talk to me about some things. Um, and then I kind of get back into the word. And then my sister rings, which was actually a very helpful conversation. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I answer her. I chat to her a little bit. And then I sort of get back into the word again. And then I remember there's some birthdays happening next week. And if I don't order the presents today, I'm going to miss the delivery slot for this party that the kids have got to go to. So I sort of organized that. And I'm sitting here. And I honestly said to myself, oh, it's so much easier for Ben. That's literally the thought that I had in my mind. 
I thought to myself, it's so much easier for Ben, you know? He, nobody interrupts him. Like, when Daddy's writing the word, Daddy is writing the word. And, uh, you know, we know about it. And there's, it's like, I don't know, the angels come and, like, shield him and cloak him. I don't know how it works. It's easier for Ben. And I was like, whoa! I've literally just said the phrase that I'm going to speak about tomorrow. I was like, is this happening? Is this for real? Because for onesies, like, Ben, like, it's not easier for Ben. He works so hard. You know, he, like, man, he gives his weekends to this church, and he doesn't get to see the kids as much as I do, and he's so disciplined and focused in order to be able to bring great messages. It's not easier for him, you know? It's just not. He works incredibly hard. That's another sermon, the awesomeness of Ben. I would love to preach that one. Love you. Oh, when there's romance in the home, there's revival in the church, so it's okay. Twosies, the issue underneath the surface, isn't about whether it's easier or not for Ben. It's about how I handle pressure. You know, that's the issue in my life. How am I really handling pressure? How am I really coping with this level of expectation? Am I really dealing with this in a godly way? And threesies. People want to connect with me. People want to interrupt me. Other people think I'm worth interrupting, and they want to connect with me, and they want to touch base with me. Now, that's something that's got potential about it, right? That's something that God can use. People want to interrupt me. That's so exciting. It is. I'm so delighted. Please keep ringing me. I'm not kidding. You know... When we take a moment and when we recognize that God has lavish potential upon each one of us, you know, it gives us the courage to shine a light on all of the excuses that we make for why we're not doing much with that potential. You know, it it starts with recognizing the opportunities that God's given us. You know, and it's so important to just dig down, to pause, to recognize and respond to those excuses when they pop up because they're masking fears. And when, we, when we're not afraid to kind of examine our fears, we can work out what's holding us back, what those fears are. We can kind of admit to our mistakes and they don't need to have any power over us anymore. Um, and we can even own up to a kind of a lack of spiritual maturity and take corrective action, you know. Instead of making excuses, we can get really excited about our abundant God-given potential. Isn't that awesome? Instead of making excuses, we can get really excited about our abundant God-given potential. Now, this feels to me like one of those tell-your-neighbor moments. I can kind of feel it in the air. There's a few people wanting to tell a few people. Now, normally, when we do a tell-your-neighbor moment, we say, right, look your neighbor in the eye and tell them they're awesome. They're brilliant. God loves them. It's all great. This time, I want you to find your neighbor. I want you to look them in the eye, and I want you to tell them about your potential. I want you to just stroll right up to someone and be like, hey, i got potential. I'm so excited about my potential. Tell me about your potential. Tell each other about your potential. Be a bit braggy about your own potential. God's given you lots of it. Well, there's a lot of potential in this room. The potential is pouring out of you guys. It's amazing. There's an overflow of potential in this space and place. Praise God. Let me tell you another story. I do like a good story. This is a story um, about a couple called Wade and Ferris Joy. Wade and Ferris Joy. Ooh, she's back. Wade and Ferris Joy. Um, what a great name. You can tell they're from the South. 
um, America South. Love it. Uh, now, you could look at this picture, and you would probably draw some assumptions about the kind of family they are, um, about the kind of things that they do. It's a beautiful picture. looks gorgeous. Now, Wade Joy and Wade and Ferris Joy are part of the, the very original um, leadership team at Elevation Church in Carolina, South Carolina. Um, and it's a great church, you know, it's pastored by Stephen Fersick and Holly Fersick in there. They've seen thousands and thousands of thousands of people, one in that city and in that area. They're having, uh, you know, they've seen revival breakout really in South Carolina. It's great. And these guys, Wade and Ferris, were with them right at the start. Um, and Wade has got a great heart for worship. And uh, he's now their main, not just one of their main worship leaders, but he oversees all of, well, together they do it, you know, they oversee all of worship. Um, all the resourcing of it and the albums and all that kind of stuff. If you've ever watched an Elevation YouTube video, you know, you've probably seen him um, on it. And, you know, if you're an aspiring musician this morning, you're probably listening to this thinking a little bit like, oh, I'd like to get a song written and recorded and out there, but man, it's probably easier for those guys, you know. They've got record contracts, they've got resources, they've got recording studios, they've got a plethora of collaborating artists ready to work with them, you know. Maybe it's easier for those guys to get a song out there, but that's maybe just a challenge for you. But for the rest of us, you know, you might look at these guys and think, man, it's easier for those guys to worship, probably. I mean, have you seen their sound setup? Have you seen their lights? You know, they're in stadiums full of people. It'd be so much easier to worship in that kind of environment, right? It'd be easier. It must be so easy for them. They must have every, you know, they must find it so easy to be Christians. Like, everything must be easier for those guys. But uh, there's a YouTube video, one of the very, 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 very early Elevation albums, uh, from like 2010, 2011, something like that. Um, Wade wrote a song on it called, I think, God is Our Rock or something like that. And uh, he tells the story on YouTube about what was happening in his life that inspired that song. And people love that song, but it really it was inspired by a really painful, painful time um, in his life and in his wife's life. Because what happened is they were pregnant with twins um, and Ferris went into labor three months early. So there were twin, uh, twin babies born three months uh, premature, and they just went, it's tearful, honestly. Me and Ben cry every time I tell this story. They went from like, life-threatening illness to life-threatening illness. Like For months, you know, one twin pulled it back, and the other twin nearly died, and it would just go like this. Everything that could possibly go wrong with these tiny babies went wrong, and it was desperate, desperate times. And if you ever read their blogs at that time, every day was like a... Uh, you needed a medical degree, really, to process it, but with a with a plea for help at the end of it. And uh, the church eventually called them the Miracle Twins because they're alive. You know, you can see them in that picture there. They made it through. I mean, they're still in the hospital quite a lot. They still have quite a lot of challenges that they have to get through and a lot of regular checkups and um, routine operations happening, but they made it through. And uh, Wade tells this story about how a few years after girls had grown up and stabilized, they felt like they'd kind of had enough inner healing to maybe extend their family a little bit more again. Um, and so they, they, they asked God to help them conceive another child, and they spent all of this pregnancy just praying for health on this baby, just praying for God's grace and mercy on their lives, that this baby would be healthy. Um, and the, another little girl was born. She had cystic fibrosis. Could you imagine? After everything they'd been through and after everything they prayed and after the way that they'd given their life to God, and, and it seemed to them that their prayers weren't answered and he didn't, didn't hear, to them, hear them. And I used to read Ferris's blog, and here's what she didn't write on her blog. She did not write on her blog, it must be so much easier for other mums. 
She didn't write on her blog, it must be so much easier for all the other parents out there. She didn't write, it must be so much easier for parents with children that don't have medical conditions. There was no mention of that. Here's what she did write on her blog. She wrote, One of the biggest changes has been in me, though. I am now a mum to three girls that each have a medical issue or a special need. And God has opened my eyes to show me how this is going to be quite a journey. A journey of learning more about God, growing as a mother, learning patience and more compassion, and seeing each of my girls as his child first. My girls are beautiful, precious, and have been formed perfectly by their creator. There's a woman who isn't telling herself how much easier it must be for everybody else. You know, instantly she's recognizing and responding to the challenges that she knows she's going to face in her own life. And she's asking God to give her the personal character growth to kind of handle this situation that he's given her. And in that, she's also finding her potential to demonstrate the heart of God, not only to her own three children, but to the, to the much bigger church that, you know, looked to her for so much inspiration. What an amazing woman. You know, everybody faces the same kinds of challenges in life. You know, but everybody faces the same kinds of opportunities too. It's all about how we handle them. Same problems, same possibilities. We've all got problems and we've all got possibilities. Amen. Pastor Bray once said to me, you've got issues, Karis, but you're still awesome. Well, I'm going <laughs> to change this to we've all got problems, but we've all got possibilities. That's definitely an Italian neighbor moment. We've all got problems, and we've all got possibilities. And we've all got a backstory, right? I do not care how perfect your life looks on the internet, because I do look sometimes. I don't care how gorgeous and glossy you've managed to curate your Instagram feed. You've all been through some stuff. You've all had some stuff that you've had to work through. Everybody's got some baggage. Everybody's got a back story. And that's the second part of this chapter that really encouraged me. You know, we've got some old stories and we've got some new names, an old story and a new name. You know, sure, in Acts chapter 9, when all the stuff was happening in Joppa and Lydda, and in Acts chapter 10, as Peter uh, visits Cornelius, you know, he's really got it going on, right? This guy is all guns blazing now for God. Peter is doing the do. He's moving in the spirit. He's raising people from the dead. Like, this guy has made it. He is all about his father's business, right? But if you go back to the Gospels, a different backstory emerges. You know, we get a, we get a sense of a completely different character um, and a completely different man. Now, I kind of feel bad about doing this because I don't like calling out people in the Bible for, like, their bad things because it feels a little bit like, you know... What did you say? Spoke in one eye, plank in another type thing. You know, I don't want to do a downer on Peter. It wouldn't really be fair. But I've got to for the purposes of this illustration. So just bear with me. I'm not calling him out. He's a great guy. But if you read the Gospels, you can draw your own conclusions about Peter, but this is how he comes across. He comes across presumptive. Comes across like he speaks before he thinks. He uh, offers inappropriate opinions, and he tries to take action when it's not really wanted. Oh, this is getting awkward too. Oh dear, he's aggressive, he's impulsive, and I've read some commentators describe him as hot-headed. He's a bit judgmental on occasion, uh, and he could also be accused of being all show and no substance, because do you remember he boasted of his loyalty to Christ? And he said, oh Jesus, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. 
And yet, as we know, if you've read the Gospels, as Jesus was captured uh, and led away to be crucified, Peter passionately denies any kind of connection or relationship with Jesus at all and completely goes back on what he promised. You know, he's even passionate in betrayal. The Bible tells us he cursed and shouted even in that moment. You know, in spite of being an original disciple, in spite of being to real, actual human Jesus Bible College, Peter doesn't handle himself well, and he doesn't take the pressure well either. You know, and at the end of the Gospels, Peter is really, really struggling. And uh, struggling, FYI, is exactly what the Charlotte Bobcats were doing at the end of their 2012 season. Because in spite of having Michael Jackson on board as the big figurehead, (laughs) Michael Jackson... (laughs) Michael Jordan! That's so funny! Who told my kids the joke about the kids going to school and asking all their parents and what the answer to one of them is, Michael Jackson? I'm looking at you guys. Yeah, they're telling this joke. It's stuck in my head. Michael Jordan. You know, he's there. He's not singing, thank the Lord. He's doing his basketball thing, and it's not having any impact. You know, the Bobcats are still really, really struggling. So what Michael Jordan decided to do was change the name of the team. He gave the team a new name. They were no longer called the Charlotte Bobcats. They were now called the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, And the Hornets are doing pretty good now, I gather. I honestly don't know how to read basketball scores at all, so Wiki tells me that the Charlotte Hornets are now doing really good, but we all know netball's better, so... (laughs) Oh, yeah... A new name is a powerful thing. Now, is Cecil here this morning? I'm looking around. No? Is Simon Kamita here this morning? You'll do. Can anybody get me one of those, um, those sticky name label things where you write like a name on it and then you whack it on? That'd be all right. Are there any of those kicking around anywhere? Right, Simon Kamita, you're a Simon. Can I borrow you? We have here a real human live Simon. This is great. There's so many human things happening. Okay, so at the start of the Gospels, Peter is called Simon. That's his name. That's what he was born with. That's what his mother and father gave him. Come up here, sir. You've even got your fisherman sandals on. This is perfect. We didn't even plan this. Put it here. Awesome. This must be in the Lord. Thanks, Adam. So at the start of the Gospels, this is your name. And it is still your name now, so this works really well. Okay, I'm going to write the name on here. It's not going to surprise you. It is, in fact, the name Simon. There we go. Simon's got his name on. Thank you very much, Simon. Now, that's how he started his life. That's what he was named. But once Jesus met him and called him to be a disciple, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new name, and I'm going to give you the name Peter. Simon Peter. There we go. I don't know if that'll stick. Thanks. Simon Peter. I'm going to call you Peter. And a little bit later on, a few chapters later, Jesus explains why he chose this name Peter. Do you know what it means? It means rock. The name Peter means rock. And later on, Jesus says to him, you're going to be the rock on which I build my new church. And uh, so from that point on, everyone stops calling him Simon and just calls him Peter. That's, and you'll read about him in the Gospels, quite often described as Peter. And in Acts, um, we read about him as Peter too. But before we get there, this uh, t- tragic event happens that I told you about. You know, Jesus dies and Peter is utterly distraught. Instead of sticking by his Lord and Master through that ter- those terrible dark hours, he denies Jesus, he runs away from him, um, and he basically disappears. And everything's over, you know? This promise to, of a new church to be built on a rock, that's gone. Jesus has died. The whole show's over. Everything's finished. And Peter's distraught because it's all over, and his new name didn't stick. You know, there was no 
nothing happening with this rock. He didn't build any churches. He didn't feel like a rock. He didn't feel like a brick. He just, he just felt probably quite soggy and washed up and useless. So what happened in between this time where he denied Jesus and then Acts chapter 10, where he's like firing on all cylinders, doing the do? Because by Acts chapter 1, uh, he's back in business, you know? In the story of Acts, we read him doing all this amazing stuff. So he's back in, he might have felt like Simon for a little while um, after Jesus died, but then he makes a comeback. He owns his name Peter again, and he, off he goes into Acts. Now, if you could just wander along here for me a little bit, um, Peter, that'd be really helpful. You know, by the time we get to Acts chapter 10, he must be feeling like the rock. You need to look a bit more. That's it. (laughs) You are so right for this. He must have been feeling like, do you know what? I've made a comeback. I am Peter. I am the rock. Things are happening. God's using me. You know, Acts chapter 10, he must be very confident introducing himself to people. Go and introduce yourself to Steve. Say, hi, I'm the rock. (laughs) (laughs) You know... This guy, he's owning his name. He's being the rock. He's seeing the stuff healed, seeing people healed. He's seeing people raised from the dead. He's the, he is Peter. Peter has arrived. Right, stand there for me a second, would you, Peter the Rock? He's a changed man, you know. Simon's long gone and forgotten, and Peter is now owning his name and operating at a different spiritual level. And I was like, God, why? What happened? He spent three years with you. How come he didn't start owning his name? You know, you think if Jesus came up to you and was like, I'm going to name you Precious, you know, you would be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll receive that. that that's right. But Jesus did that for this guy and it, it still didn't stick. So what happened in between Peter crying his eyes out in that courtyard for rejecting Jesus and Acts chapter 10, where he's about to arrive at Cornelius's house, having raised a woman from the dead and healed a paralyzed man. Two things that I can see happened. Just two things happened to him. One, he experienced the resurrection. He experienced the power of the blood of Jesus. Until Jesus died, he couldn't have experienced that. But at the crucifixion, Peter was able to experience the power of the blood of Jesus. And he was able to understand the great exchange that happens at the cross, you know, where he can swap his name Simon for Peter once and for all. There's no going back. The cross is a final exchange. And maybe he experienced that in a way that enabled him to really move on from some of his past issues. And the second thing I can see that happened to him in that 10-chapter stretch was that he received the power of the Holy Spirit. He received the power of the Holy Spirit to change his character. And because of these two things, the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, he finally fulfills his potential as the rock on which the New Testament church is built. He becomes the foundation of the new church. We see it happening in this chapter, in Acts chapter 10. You know, he takes the gospel to the whole rest of the world through his uh, connection with Cornelius. And, you know, because of that chapter and because of what Peter did, we're all still sat here today, part of that New Testament church. We're all still being built on what Jesus called out in one guy all that time ago. And we're in with the same chance. You know, it's not about the Jewish community anymore. It's about everybody. The outsiders are in with a chance. And just like Peter grabbed this new chance, we have the opportunity this morning to do the same. Sounds good, right? So why, 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 my friends, why in Acts chapter 10, for the first time in all of Acts, does God start calling him Simon again? Why in Acts chapter 10 do we get this part, the Simon part of his name back again? Why? Just in this chapter, and the whole rest of the Acts, book of Acts, he's Peter again. And in fact, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he still calls him Peter. But God very specifically calls him Simon again. And you know, he doesn't call him Simon again for the whole rest of Acts. 
It's just in this chapter or slightly later when Peter and James are talking about this incident that happened with Cornelius. It's the only time that the name Simon is resurrected again. Look, you can see it on the screen. Okay, verse 5, God tells Cornelius in a vision, bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. In verse 18, they, uh, God describes him as Simon. Uh, the people that Cornelius sent describe him as Simon, who is known as Peter, because that's what God told Cornelius to call him. And even the Holy Spirit, in verse 19, calls him Simon. Everybody's in on it. All of a sudden, he's back as Simon. I was so encouraged by this. Because what I read in that is that it was absolutely essential to this chapter that Simon's backstory was part of it. It's his past, it's what he went through, it's his transformation that makes this whole encounter so powerful. It's as though God is deliberately reminding first Peter and then everybody else that Peter was once Simon and now he's Peter. He's reminding them of the transformation that Peter went through. He's reminding everyone that Peter was once lost and now he's found, that Peter was once broken and now healed, that Peter was once far from God, but he's now near to God, that Peter was once a broken man, but he's now healed. Because as Peter is reminded of the extent of his own transformation, he begins to see things differently. And that's so true for us today as well. You know, when we remember what God has done for us in the past, it helps us see our future differently. But it's essential that Peter is is able to remember this experience of transformation that he's been through. Because through that, his mind is opened to understand that through the cross, God has opened a new door of possibility and that anyone can walk through and be saved. If I can be saved, anyone can be saved. And that's what allows him to go, do you know what, God? I see what you're doing here. You want me to take the message to people who were previously considered unclean. You want me to take the message to people that previously I wouldn't have associated with. You want me to take the message to people that previously were beyond hope. All of a sudden, his own experience, transformation experience opens his mind to understand that God wants the same for each and every one of us all throughout the world, throughout all of time. Isn't that amazing? You know, that, tra- that name reminds him that no matter what people's backstories, no matter what their religion, no matter what their culture, no matter what their heritage, no matter what they did have, no matter what they didn't have, no matter what um, other people had and they didn't have, no matter what any of that stuff is, no matter what others do, no matter what others don't do to you, no matter what your past is, no matter what your education was, no matter what your family support network was like, no matter what your playground experience was like, no matter what your relationship status is, you can be part of God's family today and you can discover your potential in his plan. You know, I'd like to to finish, I guess, by thanking you, Simon Peter. Thank you very much. The Rock. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to stand and thank you for listening this morning. But why don't you join me in responding to God's message this morning? You know, since we're pausing on Peter, why don't we just pause on ourselves for a moment, okay? Just encourage you just to close your eyes. Shut everybody else out. Let's hit the pause button. And let's think back and remember the extent of your own transformation. Think back and remember from where you came from, what your life used to be like, and how far God has taken you and transformed you. And in this moment, you know, ask God to help you see your future differently in light of that past transformation. Maybe you've never experienced that transformation. And if you need a touch of that today, if you want to say yes to following Jesus for the first time, 
if you want to trade in all of your problems for God's possibilities, we're going to say a simple prayer of salvation and it will change your life forever. And anyone can say it, no matter what. And actually, I'm going to ask all of us to say this prayer together because so many of us in this room have already said it. And by saying it again, it renews our own faith, but it shows our support for those of you that have never said it and want to start your own journey with God this morning. So the prayer is going to come up on the screen. Uh, And then we're going to read that out together. And then if you've said that for the first time this morning, or if you're ready to commit your life to God, maybe you've been coming a while, but you're not sure. If this feels like your moment to just say, yep, I'm going for this, I'm going for God. Then after you've said this prayer, and there's a team at the back there. Adam, you give us a wave. He's got a shirt on here. Can you see Adam? Um, and Jane's at the back too with glasses on. You know, Delph and Steve and Caroline here too. They're part of our consolidation team. And they'll take you out, get you a hot drink, um, and just pray with you, ask your name. So if there's anything else we can pray for you, they'll give you a free gift. They'll just help you understand what it is that you've committed to this morning and show you how as a church we can keep supporting you. So let's make this prayer together. Jesus. I want to be transformed by you. My old life without you isn't working. Please forgive me for all of my sin and welcome me into your family instead. I choose your new life and new potential for me. Amen. Amen. So if you said that, now's your moment. Grab your friend, head to the back. Don't let, don't let this moment pass. You know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You're, you can be in with a chance again if you've responded to God this morning. And you know, the rest of us can respond this morning too. You know, I think the first thing that we really want to respond to is trading in our excuses for possibility instead, right? I don't want anyone to walk out this room feeling like they're weighed down by excuses. Instead, this morning, I would love every person in this room to feel alive to the possibility and the potential that each of you have in Christ this morning. So I'd like you to picture something and then pray something. First of all, I just ask you to close your eyes again. I want you to picture the cross. I'm going to picture the cross. And we're going to picture the great exchange that happened at the cross for us. And we're going to lay our excuses at the cross this morning. We're going to set us free from wrong expectations, from justification from feeling frustrated and achieving your potential. That's all going to get laid at the cross this morning. And when I was praying for this meeting, what I actually had a picture of is almost like a magician with his handkerchiefs. You know those tricks where you start pulling a handkerchief and it just keeps coming out, coming out. There's a big stream of connected handkerchiefs. I just saw that happening at the cross this morning, but almost out of people's mouths. Almost like you're starting to pull something and excuse after excuse is in there. But God is pulling it out of you this morning. God's taking that away from you this morning. God's drawing it out from within you this morning. Maybe it's handkerchiefs because, you know, we use handkerchiefs when we're sad, right? They comfort us when we're crying. So maybe there's something there this morning that people um, need to be set free from excuses that have brought them comfort. But actually, it's Christ who brings us comfort. And he wants to take away the excuses that you've made to comfort yourself and be your comfort instead this morning. He's there to comfort you in your distress. And he's there to breathe life into our potential again. So let's pray. Why don't you lift your hands if you want God to touch you this morning. Father God, we ask that you would give us the strength this morning to dig beneath the surface, to find those excuses and those issues that are holding us back from fulfilling our potential in you. God, give us the strength to find them and to release them. We don't want to hang on to them anymore like an old comfort blanket that's holding us back. We want to lay it at the foot of the cross this morning and say, hey, God, we love you. We know that in you we have great potential. God, I pray right now that you breathe life 
back into people's potentials this morning. Lord, where things have been squashed and flattened or, or forgotten or buried beneath other things, that potential, that passion for life, that unique calling that you've got for them will come back to life right now. We pray that your spirit would just blow like wind on an ember and fan something back into flame again, a potential, a desire to achieve that potential in God this morning. Amen. And the second thing I'd really like to respond to is this idea of a new name. So if you've been a Christian for a while, but maybe you feel like your, your new name, your new nature, your new life hasn't stuck or it hasn't come to anything, or you said yes to Jesus and you just haven't made any progress since then, I'd like to pray for you today too, that you have an experience just like Peter did. Remember the two things that he experienced, the two things that are freely available for all of us. He experienced the power of the blood of Jesus and he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of the bold bit, really. If you feel like you like a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit in your life, or you'd really like to experience the cross in a fresh way or for the first time, just take a step left or right, find an aisle space, um, and we're going to pray. And hang around at the end of the meeting, and we are the leadership team here would love to pray for you. This is such an important part of each one of our journeys, is to have that experience of the cross, to really understand what happened there. And that's here for you this morning in a new way, at a deeper level for the first time. We're here to pray with you today. So let's close our eyes and pray. I'm going to pray for each one of us, but why don't you put your hands on your heart if you're looking for a fresh touch from God this morning, a fresh experience, a new experience, a deeper level. If you want to receive your new name in a way that sticks and makes a change for you this morning. Father God, we ask you to transform us this morning, not in our own energy, but in your power. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Thank you that we can step out and beyond our old names. We can step out of our old lives. We can step out of our old way of doing things and into your new name for us this morning. God, we pray that you would set us free this morning from every name that's been given us that wasn't from you. God, every name that's been written on us or scribbled on us or we've written on ourselves, names that just create barriers between us and our potential in you. Lord, this morning, we pray that you would lift them from us and clean us from them by the power of your blood. And Lord, for every person here this morning that wants an extra touch of the Holy Spirit or hasn't received the Holy Spirit, God, we pray that you would come and breathe on them again. Lord, we long to experience your Holy Spirit in a new way this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.